So uh, I'm continuing our uh, second in our series that we're running through for the next few months, uh, Wonder, uh, where we're thinking about the wonder of God, this whole idea of the God that you thought that you knew. I want to ask you rhetorically, have, have you and I, have we lost the wonder and the awe of who God is? The wonder. Have we become over familiar with him? become God Almighty, uh, God Almighty, rather than God Almighty? Have we lost the wonder of who he is? Like wonder is an amazing thing. A, a, a few weeks ago, Paul and I went to go and see the film 1917. Has anyone seen 1917, the film 1917? And, uh, and it's, it's an extraordinary film. It's a remarkable film. I'm not generally a, good, a big fan of the war film type genre, and, uh, but it's an extraordinary film. I'd encourage you to kind of go and see it. And and aside from the great acting and, and the intriguing story, the, the thing that makes this film so remarkable is that, that it's, most of it is kind of filmed in one shot from start to finish. There are some very cheeky cuts, but the whole idea is that when you're watching the film, you're in this immersive experience and it feels like it's one shot. And in the first 20 minutes, like Paul and I were watching this and it was a packed cinema and we literally, we kept turning to each other and just going, this is ridiculous. Like, this is great. This is amazing because the sense of wonder of, like, we have never seen anything like this. This is, this is, this is brilliant. Because that's what wonder does. When you feel wonder, it touches something in your mind and body and soul, and you feel it, and you can't help but speak about it. It's true, isn't it? Hello. Yeah. Come on, Pete. You're going to talk to me today, aren't you? Let me do that again. You're going to talk to me today, aren't you? Excellent. Okay, just nudge the person next to you and just say, look, wake up. Okay, cool. I mean, you know, I can't tell you how hard it was for me for over six months to keep a secret that I was dating Amy Walker. Like, that was pretty tough. The wonder of this amazing woman that God had put into my life. Because that's what wonder does. When you feel wonder, you just want to speak about it. You want to tell everyone about it. Have we lost... The wonder of who God is and how amazing God is. Have we lost that sense of reverence and that sense of awe? And so this whole series, we're going to be looking at uh, the wonder of God through, through the names of God. And so a couple of weeks ago, Kate kicked off the series with God, Elohim. And we're going to be looking at a whole bunch of names. But what no one in this room needs, and I certainly don't need to do, is get into some head knowledge that by the, the end of the next eight or so weeks, everyone thinks, okay, I understand the names of God. No one needs that, and God is not in interested in that at all. What we're hoping and praying and believing that, that through this teaching, the Holy Spirit will come and catalyze something that will bring a deeper understanding, revelation, vision, passion, whatever it is, where we are by the end of this next four and a half hours of teaching, basically, oh, you are definitely not awake this morning. <laughs> definitely not awake this morning. But by the end of this teaching this morning, that we would just think like, God, you are amazing. And, and, if, and if God, like, and I can't do that. I, you know, I'm a passionate kind of person. I've got zeal, but I can't, I can't stoke anything in you. Only God, by his spirit, can take these words that we're going to look at today and do something in you that by 30 minutes time, 25 minutes time, you just feel, I, I just want to praise him. Because he's amazing. He's amazing. And if you don't feel that, then, um, 
then I'm praying that God will do that because only he can do that. So would you put your hand on your heart right now? Would you do that? Come on, everyone in the house, put your hand on your heart. And, uh, and would you close your eyes and would you agree with me in prayer right now? Holy Spirit, I give you permission to come right now and bring revelation and understanding and an eye-opening experience to how amazing you are. May I be captured in wonder. And everyone agreed and said, amen, amen, amen. amen. So we're looking at the names of God because everyone knows that names are really, really important. Names are important, aren't they? Uh, Which is a frustration to me because I don't have the gift of remembering names. I wish I had that gift. That gift is really, really important. I recently posted this uh, picture on social media, uh, literally in the last week. Uh, if you're listening to this, you're, uh, I've got two jars up. Uh, one jar has a swear jar, and there are a few coins in there. And then the other jar has, it says, forgetting someone's name two minutes after they've told me jar. And that jar's got lots of coins in. And I kind of put this up, and th- this feels like me. And a number of you and other people, basically, you know, you're like, this is me. Me too. I'm exactly like that. And uh, although my, uh, my 23-year-old son, he wrote this, are we skipping over the fact that the reverend still has 10 to 15 coins in his swear jar? You know, so, uh, so uh, always Dan to kind of point out the obvious, but um, Jesus, forgive me. So names are really important. And today, uh, we, in the 21st century, people choose names for a variety of different reasons. Some of us, we just like a name. We don't know what it means, but we just like it. And then for other people, they choose a name because it really means something. It has a great meaning. But in ancient times, every name had a meaning. No one just picked a name because they liked it. Every name had a meaning because the name told you something about the person. It told you something about their character. It might have told you something about their story. It might have told you something about their future. It told you something about them. Like names were like their autobiography in one word. You get the name, you immediately get some understanding of who this person is, what they're about. Names are massively important. And and so God has a name. He has a name. In fact, he's got hundreds and hundreds of names. Hundreds of names. There aren't enough words and names to describe how incredible God is, which that alone is a reason to step back and be in wonder at him that he has so many names because he is so absolutely incredible that there aren't enough words in the dictionary and there aren't enough words in all of the languages of the world to describe how awesome God is. Have we made this God too small? This morning, I want to look at... um, Uh, The most common name of Jesus, I don't mean common as in commoner, I mean common most regularly used. This name of God is used over six and a half thousand times in the whole of the Bible. It's the most prevalent name of God and it features um, all throughout the scripture, both uh, in the Old Testament and then in the Greek version in the New Testament. And as we will see in all of these series that we're going to do, this name that we, we get a glimpse of in the Old Testament but then is fully revealed in Jesus in the New. And it's this name, Yahweh, or sometimes pronounced Jehovah. Yahweh, Jehovah, in the original Hebrew language, those are different pronunciations of the same root word. This, this word, which appears, as I said, uh, over six and a half thousand times in the Bible. 
And uh, the first time it appears is literally the second chapter of the Bible in Genesis 2 verse 5. But I want to look at a story uh, that is uh, very well known in Exodus chapter 3, which is a a profound bit where we understand not just this this name, but the context of this name. And so if you've got a Bible, uh, turn to Exodus 3 or um, open up your Bible, turn it on, be encouraged, bring your Bibles, bring a pen, open your Bibles so that you can kind of make notes because I'm going to reference a few passages in this, but I'm not going to tell you the whole story for time. But, um, but let me just give you some context, what's happened up until Exodus chapter 3. So for around 400 years, the Hebrew people have been enslaved in Egypt, brutally oppressed by a whole series of very cruel tyrant pharaohs. And yet despite their suffering, they reproduce and they reproduce and and they become very large in number. And so Pharaoh and the Egyptians start worrying about this. And so they give an order that all of the Hebrew children, all the babies under the age of two, must all be executed. And if anyone has a a boy baby, that baby must be executed. And the whole plan was that 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 would prevent those boys growing up and mounting a coup, a rebellion, when they become men. And so this order is given and terrible things happen in Egypt. Some time later, we don't know how much longer, a a lady called Jochebed, she's expecting a baby and she gives birth to a boy. Now imagine the horror of that moment when you give birth to a boy and you realize that the life of your child is imminently in danger. And so she takes her little baby, she, uh, she kind of wraps him in a, in a kind of specially prepared basket and she hides him in the reeds of the river Nile. And moments later, that same day, Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, just happens, happens, divine coincidence, to come to that place, sees the baby and decides him uh, not just to take him for her own, but actually asks uh, the mother of this child to come and nanny him, to nurse him for the first few years. And it's the princess who calls this child Moses. Jochebed doesn't name him. It's the princess, Pharaoh's daughter, that names him Moses because n- names mean something. And Moses in Hebrew means to draw out because he was drawn out of the river Nile. And in Egyptian, it means uh, crown prince, uh, man of royalty, because he would become a prince of Egypt. Actually, as he started to operate under God, both of those things became true. In the story, he was drawn out of Midian, as we're about to see, and he returns to Egypt, and he becomes the crown prince of the God Most High. So, uh, so for 40 years, Moses lives in uh, Pharaoh's palace, but he never forgets his roots. He knows who he is. And at the age of 40, he comes across a scene where an Egyptian soldier is basically brutally beating one of his uh, kind of fellow brothers in the Hebrew nation. And he gets mad and he kills the Egyptian soldier. And when he realizes what he's done and that what he's done is not received with gratitude from his own people, he flees. Because he knows he's in trouble. And when he flees, like he really flees. He walks, runs, escapes 285 miles away to a place called Midian. And for the next 40 years, um, Moses lives as a shepherd. He gets married and he lives as a shepherd in the mountains of Midian, doing his absolute best to forget about the suffering and the struggle of his own people back in Egypt. He's 80 years old. 
He gets up. It feels like today is just like another day, another shepherding day. He goes out with his sheep around a mountain called Sinai. But everything is about to change. Everything is about to change. And in the beginning of this story, you'll see in Exodus chapter 6, he's walking around this Mount Sinai and, um, and he sees an extraordinary sight. He sees a bush which is blazing on fire, but he can tell even at a distance that that bush is not being burned up. It's a supernatural phenomenon. So he's intrigued and so he starts to go over and as he goes over to the bush, another supernatural phenomenon happens because the bush speaks to him. Now, he doesn't know who it is at the moment, but the bush speaks. And the bush calls him by name and calls him by name twice. Because when you call someone by name twice, that's like saying, you are important. This really matters. I'm getting your attention. Moses, Moses, the voice within the bush comes. And so, so, the, so, the, um, so Moses gets really even closer. And, and he's about to discover that the voice that's speaking to him is God. But not just any God. It's the God of his forefathers. The voice says, I'm the God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in this moment, when Moses realizes who is speaking to him, he is terrified. He's heard the stories of this God. He knows this God is incredible. Like this God is, is, is mighty and powerful. He's heard the stories of his ancestors and he is trembling with fear. God says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And then in this moment, this God says to him, okay, Moses, I've got a job for you. I've heard for 400 years the crying out of my people. And you and I, we're going to go back to Egypt and we're going to set these people free. We're going to do this. And Moses starts to come up with all of these excuses about why he can't do it. But God says to him, this is going to happen. You are going to go back. These people are going to get free. And after that's happened, you will come to this very place on this very mountain. And you will worship me. And in fact, he comes back to Sinai later in the story. The people are rescued uh, through a big story that I, I won't go into now. They come back to Sinai. And it's at Sinai, this very place, years later, that God... God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses, this incredible story arc of what's happened. But of course, Moses doesn't know all that at the moment. And, um, and God says to him, don't worry, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm the God that's with you. And so here's where I want to pick up the story in verse 13. So in verse 13, it's, Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Now, you see, Moses understands that he lives in a culture where there are many, many gods. And he knows that the Egyptians have got a bucket load of gods. So this is a really good question to ask. That he's, he knows that if I go back to Egypt and I say to my people and to the Pharaoh that God has sent me to rescue all the slaves and immediately bring a, a complete cease to all of your pyramid and palace building activities, like once they finish laughing at me, the next question they're going to ask, well, which God are you talking about? What is the name of this God? But there's something really interesting about the way that Moses asks this question that's lost on us in the, in the English language. Because remember, he's speaking in Hebrew. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And so if he really wanted to know just what God's name was in terms of, you know, someone says to me, what's your name? And I would just say, Matt. Then he would have used a phrase, Myashimka. Uh, no, sorry. Um, yeah, Myashimka. Because the answer to Myashimka is just basically Tony, Gareth, Phil. 
Like, that's the answer. It's just basically saying, kind of, what's, what's your name from that point of view? But he doesn't say that. He says, my shemo, which has an entirely different meaning. Because when someone asks you that question, they're really saying, like, well, who really are you? Like, you know, what is your very essence? What is your very nature? What is the name that you have that describes at the deepest, most profound level of what you are about? Is everyone with me so far? Yeah, just nudge the person and say, this is good. Oh, it's obviously not that good. So, I'll, oh, God, help me. Help me and help them. Okay. So, so that's the question. Is everyone with me so far? Right, verse 14. God replies to Moses, and then this is where God gives a really crazy answer. He says, I am who I am. Say this to the people. I am has sent you. Now, now this word, I am who I am, um, in, the, in the Hebrew, it's not a direct thing of Yahweh, but, but, it, but essentially it co- directly connects with the Hebrew uh, word of Yahweh. And so everyone knows that basically God's saying, again, I am Yahweh. I am the God Yahweh. I am who I am. But it's a, it's a strange answer, isn't it? Like you say, like, who are you? And someone says, I am. That's a bit weird. Let me tell you three things about this name, which are absolutely wonderful for us today and that we'd be pleased about. Now it's the person next to you say, get ready. Excellent. Okay, we're good. So here's the first thing. The first thing about I am is, is that I am conveys this sense that what God's trying to get away, uh, um, communicate, is that he is completely different than anything else in the whole of, of, um, of creation. That he is utterly unique. He is utterly unique. Uh, it's not that God uh, came into being. Like God, like uh, I remember David Pawson saying this phrase, I am, is like saying the God always. He has always been, he currently is, and he will always be. God never came into being. He wasn't born. He wasn't created. He is always. He's the God always. He's the God eternal. And, and, and for us, we can't get our head around that. How can that possibly be? Someone must have created God. We cannot get our, our head around the fact that God is the God of yesterday, today, forever. Like It's too big for us. It's like hashtag mind blown. Would you agree? Amen. And that's the point. That is the whole point. You cannot get your head around God. He is so big. He is so awesome. He breaks all of your rational thinking. This God who comes to you today and he says, I am. I have always been. I will always be. I am the God eternal. The second thing, not only is he the God always, but he's always the same. He is eternally consistent. He's utterly unique and he's eternally consistent. God never changes. Whatever he's like, he's like it 100% of the time. It's impossible for him to change. It's impossible for him to be like this one minute and then completely different the next. Like some of us have got work colleagues. When we turn up at work tomorrow, we just don't know. Are they going to be in a good mood tomorrow? Are they going to be in a bad mood tomorrow? If they're in a good mood, the atmosphere will be great. If they're in a bad mood, the atmosphere will, will be bad. And we, we just know that the whole atmosphere that person carries will set the atmosphere in the office. God's not like that. He is eternally consistent. And so what we're going to do for the rest of this series is we're going to look at how this word is used because we're going to look in a couple of weeks' time at Jehovah or Yahweh Jireh. It means God, I am provider. We're going to be looking at Jehovah Shalom or Yahweh Shalom, which means God, peace, I am peace. That's what God's saying in those phrases. So he's not saying like, I do provision. God's saying, I am provision. 
God is not saying, like, I do peace. He says, I am peace. I am love. I am comfort. I am strength. I am healing. I am forgiveness. He is eternally those things. He cannot change. And that is fantastic news for every single one of us today. He is eternally those things. Is anyone happy about that today? Some of you will remember this, uh, like, years later... Uh, Moses is back at Sinai. As I said, that the, through this incredible story, the Egyptians are, uh, are the Hebrews are delivered from the Egyptians. Moses is back at Mount Sinai. If you want to look at this, you'll see it in uh, chapter 34 of Exodus. And he has this another incredible encounter with God. And in verse 6 of uh, Exodus 34, it says, God passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now these were, I'm just excited about this. I'm just, I'm excited about my own preaching today. I don't know about you. I am. Now these words here. The the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. These, again, are some of the most repeated words in the whole of the Bible. They're sometimes used in different ways, but they're the most repeated words. Now, notice again what, what God does here. He says, the Lord, the Lord. Remember what I said? Moses, Moses. If you repeat a name, you're saying, this is important. Don't miss this. The Yahweh, Yahweh. I am, I am. And I am what? I am always an eternally compassionate. I am always an eternally gracious. I am always an eternally slow to anger. I am always an eternally abounding in love. Now, Now pause, church. Just pause. Let your soul catch this, would you? Please, for a moment. I want you to get this. More than important than that, the Holy Spirit wants you to get this. God will never ever stop feeling compassion for you because he is compassion God will never ever ever stop wanting to pour out good things into your life like forgiveness and healing and stuff that you don't and I don't even deserve because he is eternally gracious God will never ever stop being patient with you because he is eternally slow to anger God will never, ever, ever stop loving you because he is eternally love. He is overflowing with love. And God will never, ever, someone say never, ever. God will never, ever, 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 ever stop being faithful to you because he is faithful. It's his eternal nature. It's who he is. He's the God I am. The God always And what's wonderful about that is all of those attributes of God, they apply to your present, they apply to your past, and they apply to your future. So whatever's happened in the past, he's got your past. He's dealt with your past. He's in your past. He forgives your past. He can deal with your past. Your past doesn't trouble him. Your past doesn't bother bother him. He was there in the ugly, in the broken, in the abused moments, in the terrible moments. He's in there. He can heal it because he's the God I am and always. He's in your your present. He's in your right now. He's right and he's there to deliver you and rescue. He's in your present. There's a whole bunch of rubbish stuff coming our way because rubbish happens. Difficult stuff happens. He's already there. He's waiting for you in the midst of your storm. He's the God yesterday, today, forever. He's I am. He's always. He's eternally the same. He's eternally the same. So thirdly, 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 
Notice, he is utterly unique. He's eternally consistent. And the third thing, he's rooted in relationship. You see, the whole point of all these words, they're all relational words. They're all relational words. They're all all words that really only make sense in the context of relationship. Because the God that we serve is a relational God. Like, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a place, I'm sure you haven't, I'm sure you're all really holy people where, where you've been, maybe a, maybe a policeman has stopped you and they've said to you, what is your name? And like, if, like sometimes we don't tell people's names because we think, I don't, I don't want you to know me, I don't want you to know my name. But God wants his name to be known because God wants his nature to be known. He wants you to know him, but he wants you to know what he's like. So he doesn't he doesn't hold back. And so all of these names and what God is like, is, is God is saying to us over and over again that, that he's a relational God, that you can know him, that you can have a personal relationship with him, that that's what he's about. And this is tremendous news for us today because every single one of us in this house this morning will be battling not with I am's, but I am not. You'll be here this morning and some of us have all got, you finish the sentence, I am not well. I am not um, free. I am not uh, hopeful. I am not anxiety free. Like whatever it is, you fill in the blanks. I am not rested. Whatever. And, and this relational God comes to you in the middle of your I am not. And he says to you this morning, but I am. But I am. You say, I'm not well. And the I am comes to you and says, but I am well. And so there's wellness for you. And you say, I am not at peace, but I am peace. So there is peace for you. I, I, I am not rested, but I am rest. So there's rest for you. That this relational God comes into the I am nots of our lives. And he says, but I am. If you put me at the center and my am will break in and through your life. Is anyone hearing me today? The God I am. Eternally consistent, utterly unique, relationally rooted. There's no one quite like him. And then a thousand, a thousand years later, we get this full and complete revelation of what this God Yahweh is like in Jesus. In Jesus. Remember years ago, speaking in a little primary school and a whole bunch of kids, I did a little assembly and afterwards I sat on a chair and they, and they got to ask me some questions, some crazy questions. And this little boy said to me like, what does, what does God look like? And, and in the moment, I froze, thought, oh, golly, you know, what does he look like? And, uh, and then just literally the Holy Spirit just kind of gave me this brilliant answer and just said, just tell him, he looks like Jesus. So I said, he looks like Jesus. And of course, what, what, what I was saying in that really was not, I guess, the answer to his question. But, but the point is that if you want to know what Yahweh looks like, he looks like Jesus. He is fully revealed to us in Jesus, is what the Hebrew writer writes. Hebrews 1 verse 3, the sun reflects the glory of God and shows exactly what God is like. Or the apostle Paul puts it this way in Colossians 1.15, that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Like the writers of the New Testament over and over again are saying, this God I am that you have seen glimpses of and experienced and touched in the Old Testament is fully and completely revealed in Jesus. Fully and completely revealed. You don't need to look anywhere else. He is Yahweh. Jesus is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and he is embounding in love and faithfulness. You can see it, you can touch it, you can experience it. It's fully revealed. And so that's why Jesus, time and time again, uses these I am phrases about himself over and over again. Like in, in, let me give you seven quick ones in, uh, in John's gospel. You need, are, you, are you still with me? 
I'm nearly done, but not quite. So he uses this, like, John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Like, God, like what an incredible, like, we could just dine out on that for the rest of the week. And, and again, when, in all of these I am statements, Jesus is not just saying, like, I am like this. He's literally saying, he's using this Yahweh, this I am. I'm the bread of life. If you are hungry and thirsty for healing, for help, for salvation, whatever it is, Jesus says, come to me, I'm the bread of life. In John 8, verse 12, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 10, 9, I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. In John 10, 11, I'm the good shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. In John 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. In John 14, verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In John 15, verse 5, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will, and you will bear much fruit because apart from me you can, be do, no, you can do nothing. All of these I I am statements in John's gospel are, are, are Jesus saying, I am God revealed to you and this is what I'm like. This is what I'm like. And notice that there are, I don't know if you're counting, there are seven. And John who writes this gospel, he's really intentional because seven in ancient times is the number of perfection. It's the number of completeness. And in fact, in his gospel over and over again, he keeps having sevens. Seven declarations I am. There are seven miracles just seven that are recorded in John's gospel. And there are seven personal named encounters where people in John's gospel look at Jesus and say, you are God. You are the son of God. Seven, seven, seven. And, and so what John is doing brilliantly, he's saying to all his readers that Jesus Christ is the complete and perfect revelation of the God Yahweh. He is the God that you are looking for Keep your eyes fixed on him. Even at the end of his gospel, John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31, he says this, look, get the picture. Jesus did many other miracles in the presence of his followers that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and then that by believing you may have life through his name. I, I shared earlier this week, like this incredible verse, where right the last verse in his gospel, he just says, there aren't enough books, there are not enough words in the whole of the world to be able to convey all the amazing things that this Jesus did, because he is the God I am. He is utterly unique. There is no one like him. He is eternally consistent. He is unchanging in his love and compassion and goodness and kindness, and he is relationally rooted. He longs for relationship with you, and he is full revealed in Jesus Christ who was fully God and fully man came to live for us came to die for us came to rise again for us came to ascend for us is right now at the right hand of the Father praying for us and will come back for us and will renew us and rescue us and we will live with him and we will reign with him in a new heavens and a new earth and there'll be no more sickness and no more suffering and no more tears and no more death and no more cancer and no more nothing that is dark and, and, and awful and sinful and broken because he is Yahweh. He is the God of always and that is his promise. 
team, do you want to come back up now? And so, so friends, as, as we come, and we're going to sing this song of worship, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Like if you could get this in your heart, if you could get this in your soul, then if you would allow your, your mind to be blown, your heart to burst, your body to feel the wonder, then, then like worshiping is not going to be a chore. If, if you could just feel the awe and wonder of how amazing this God is, then maybe for you today is your day to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. But we're going to stand together right now, and we're going to, we're going to sing this song. We're going to sing the words of this uh, most common declaration about who God is. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and rich in love. Can you put those words up, uh, Jackie? And then the next bit uh, after that, and it says, The Lord is good to all. He's got compassion on all that he has made. And as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's moved our transgressions from us, our brokenness from us, because he's the God Yahweh. And the only response, if you can really feel that in your soul, is to say this, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I love the New Living Translation of that. It says, Praise the Lord, I tell myself. I'm going to say to myself, God, life is hard, but God is flipping amazing. He's absolutely incredible. And he's worthy of all my honor and power and praise. So come on, come on church, let's sing this.